What's going on, everybody? It's Monday, April 6th, and we are back with another episode. I don't know if you noticed, but I changed the background music to this podcast because I got flack last episode because the music sounded a little wonky. So uh, I changed the music, uh, and today I'm excited because we are jumping into Holy Week this week. You know, Holy Week, the last week of Jesus's life before he's crucified and buried. And what I want to do on the next several podcast episodes is kind of jump into a series of reflection pieces for us that I think contain some important notes for how we are to think about what it is that we're doing uh, in our life groups uh, to pursue discipleship. And I'm, I'm excited about that. What I want to do over the next couple weeks is uh, look at Jesus's crucifixion. That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, his resurrection, the 40 days following his resurrection, um, his ascension and then Pentecost and what those different events that we see kind of play out in the final days of Christ and in, into the birth of the early church and what those have to, to, to teach us about uh, Christ and uh, discipleship and following him. So I'm excited about that. Here we go. So I recently watched a Terrence Malick film called A Hidden Life, which depicts the life of uh, a guy named Franz Jägerstatter, who was an Austrian peasant and devout Catholic. He was executed by the German army during World War II, but I absolutely loved this film. It was It's probably one of my favorite films I've ever seen in my life. I give it a 9 out of 10. Uh, the videography was amazing. The subject matter was awesome. The acting I thought was great. Um, it was just so, so, so good. So I would highly recommend, if you've got time on your hands, rent it via YouTube or, or wherever you rent your online movies. You can get it. It's like three ninety nine. It's totally worth it. Uh, not something I don't, I don't know that the whole family would enjoy. Uh, it's because it's more of a drama. It's kind of slow. But it's a good story. But yeah, ho- would wholeheartedly recommend. The film, it begins by showcasing the life of Franz and his wife, Fanny. They're simple folk who... Uh, they make their living working the land. They cut and gather hay. They farm. They raise their three daughters on their farmland. And uh, the story kind of kicks off. And I'm not, I mean, there's uh, not a whole lot of spoilers, but you'll still love the movie even if what even with what I tell you. So Franz Jägerstadter was known in his community as being a man of, of uh, principle, honesty, a man dedicated to his family, to his faith. Uh, but there comes this point in the film where Franz has a decision to make. Uh, he's uh, His small rural community is they're uh, allegiant to Hitler. They swear feel, fealty to Hitler. And so he's got to decide for himself and for his family if they too will swear allegiance and support the Nazis. And Jägerstadter, he's receiving pressure kind of from all sides, from the townspeople, from the town mayor, from his bishop, um, to swear the oath to Hitler because they don't they want any hardship on their community. And to them, it just makes logical sense. Just, just swear the oath, uh, do your duty to the fatherland. Work, you know, uh, if the German army calls you up, work for the German army. Do what they tell you to do, uh, lest you bring hardship on yourself or your family. And in the midst of that struggle, which the movie kind of depicts that struggle, um, he's trying to de- he's trying to decide. Okay, what is the right thing to do here? Because my conscience tells me to not. Uh, swear fealty to Hitler. My conscience tells me not to fight in this war. My conscience tells me not to especially fight in the war on the side of the Germans. And so he's kind of struggling with what to do, what is right, what is wise, what his duty uh, bids him to do. And he ends up talking, there's this point in the movie, he ends up talking to this painter 
uh, and this painter, he, the painter works at the church, and he's been tasked by the church to paint paintings of Jesus. And they, Franz gets into this conversation with him about how he um, depicts Jesus in his paintings. And the artist kind of has a, an interesting um, couple of, of moments in the movie because he, he's talking about um, there's like two Jesuses that he knows to paint. And uh, he only ever paints one of the Jesuses. And he, he says this, quote, he says, Christ's life is a demand. Uh, nobody ever wants to be reminded of that. So I paint their comfortable Christ with a halo over his head. Because how can I show what I haven't lived? Someday I might have the courage to venture there, but not yet. But someday, someday I'll paint the true Christ. And it seems like from that moment on, Franz has within him a newfound resolve to paint the true Christ with his very own life, the Christ of self-denial, the Christ of suffering love, and the Christ of sacrifice, the Christ of the cross, uh, which I found that little segment interesting in the movie because um, if we have our vision of Jesus wrong, then that's going to kind of change the vision of our discipleship. I mean, how can it not, right? Like, if we're disciples under some sort of version of Jesus that we um, kind of sentimentalize and uh, fit into the landscape of our culture, the way our culture normally operates, uh, then yeah, we're going to, if we're his disciples, we're going to follow that way. But Jesus um, was, he he himself pursued the way of self-denial, pursued the path of suffering love, pursued the path of sacrifice, and the, the, the path that ultimately led him to the cross and Jägerstager understood that he found himself uh, in prison because of his um, not wanting to compromise his integrity. He undertook the suffering of intense loneliness while quarantined in prison, uh, so he knows what that's like. He undertook the suffering of knowing his wife and three daughters uh, were being ostracized by their community because of his decision, and eventually it led him to suffer his own death by guillotine. Now, why do I share that with you? I share that because in the age of COVID-19 and in a week where maybe we're a little more in tune to Jesus and his death, I think one of the most fundamental aspects of Christianity and Christian discipleship is getting our picture of Jesus right and then following uh, in line with that picture of Jesus. Uh, And the, the picture of Jesus, the, the picture of God that we, uh, that is most clear is Jesus on the cross. Uh, the author of Hebrews writes uh, at the beginning of uh, his book, he says, long ago at many times in many ways, our fathers spoke, uh, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. It's it's Jesus that really reveals uh, who, who God is, what God is like. And the Jesus that we, you know, see through, all throughout the Gospels is this is this Jesus who consistently, uh, intentionally pursues uh, the well-being of others. And so, you know, the cross, kind of the penultimate um, example of his pursuit of others, right? I mean, for somebody to go to their own death and to die in the manner that he did. I mean, um, that is love, love meaning to will the good of another. But the cross has become a symbol um, where we, you know, we kind of use it sentimentally in songs. It's become a piece of fashionable jewelry that people like to wear. 
which would have been deemed like insane to uh, early Christians. It, it would be like us today putting an electric chair uh, on our wall, hanging that on our wall. But uh, I'm not ragging on that. I'm just saying. But for Christians, however, the cross, is it's, it was more than just a song. It was more than just a symbol to hang on the wall. For Christians, the cross was primarily a way of life. That's what Jesus kind of tries to get across to his disciples in that oh-so-famous verse where he says to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. See, Jesus's death wasn't just the means by which we're saved. For Christians, the cross is the means by which we are to live. Scholars call this cruciformity. Uh, cruciformity, kind of the word meaning to be conformed to the cross. Uh, I love what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about this. He says that the cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of the world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death, and thus it begins. A cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. See, each of us has to undergo continuously this idea of cruciformity. Each of our groups has to undergo continuously this idea of being conformed to the cross each moment, each day. And the reason for that is because God wants to invite us to put to death the parts of us that are ungodly, that are unlike Jesus, because he knows that in doing so, in our putting to death those things of picking up our cross daily, he knows that that leads to the true eternal kind of life. Um, C.S. Lewis makes that same point in The Weight of Glory. Um, he says that the New Testament has lots to say about self-denial, but not self-denial as an end in itself. He says, we are told to deny ourselves and take up our crosses in order that we might follow Christ. And in nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find, if we do so, contains an appeal to desire. So what Lewis is noting there is that whenever we talk about self-denial, it's not self-denial for its own sake, but it's self-denial in the pursuit of something greater. He goes on to say this. He says, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised to us in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what, what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, Lewis writes, we are far too easily pleased. And Jesus makes this so clear when he says to his, his disciples after declaring that his disciples are the ones who would take up their cross and follow him by saying that for whoever wants to save their life, they've got to lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. Christian spirituality and Christian discipleship are made up of letting go and instead redirecting our desires towards a new end, towards God and his kingdom. And I think Franz Jägerstadter understood that. He, he put to death self, self-aggrandizement. He had to put to death his future plans and hopes, his desire to have a future with his family. 
and he had to put to death his own propensity for self-preservation and service for a higher, nobler good, that being his faithfulness to God. And, you know, throughout the movie, you know, people tried to rationalize him out of his thinking over and over again. He went to the church, and the priests tried to get him to stop thinking what he was thinking. Uh, his he you know mom his own mom tried to get him to um, not go through with what he was thinking. The German officers, so on and so forth. You know, they'd say things like, "Franz, are, by you making this, are you judging us? Like, are you saying that we're vile and evil, um, and, and that you're right? What makes you right?" Or they'd say things like, "Franz, what good will your one life do? What difference will it make?" For you to uh, reject swearing fealty to Hitler, what like what what good is that going to do? You're just going to bring hardship on yourself and hardship on your family, which leads to the next thing that they would say. They say, Franz, are, you're putting the long term well being of your family at risk by doing this. Or they'd say, Franz, you, you don't actually have to mean what you say when you swear the oath. It's it's just words, Franz, and so on and so on. But again, Franz understood Jesus' words when Christ said that they, as, as a disciple, you've got to pick up your cross daily and follow him. But he also understood Jesus' words where Jesus said, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. And, and like I said, Franz did lose his life. He was beheaded during World War II. Uh, but ultimately, he was vindicated. He was beatified by the Catholic Church several years ago, which may not mean much to us Protestants today, but we can just suffice it to say that his actions were justified. Uh, a beautiful movie. I absolutely loved it. I, I think you would, even though I just kind of spelled out what the movie's about right there, uh, the, the movie's like two and a half hours long, so I obviously did not hit on everything in it, so would 10 out of 10 recommend but all that sounds nice, right? Like I think that we would probably all be in agreement about, yeah, we should take up our cross daily. Yeah, we should follow Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what's that look like on the ground? I, I'm hoping to uh, spend the last couple of minutes that I have in this episode and then even uh, the first couple of minutes in next week's episode to talk a little bit more about that. But I just want to talk briefly about three dimensions um, as we wrap up today that cruciformity has. Uh, and then kind of a bonus fourth edition that's not really a bonus because it's integral to it all. But the first three is I think that with cruciformity, there's an inward cruciformity where we put to death the ungodly desires that reside within us. Things like anger, resentment, greed, ego, pride, impatience, lust, so on and so forth. That's the first one. I also think that there's a, a backwards cruciformity that needs to happen where we put to death some idealized version of our past that we cling to. Um, maybe it's what culture used to be, like, oh, you know, back in the good old days, like that's a kind of we cling to the past in that regard. Or we cling to our own youthfulness, uh, never kind of living in the reality of, of our aging. I know people do that. Um, we cling to past relationships or past jobs or past experiences, um, just whatever it is in the past. Sometimes we have to put the past to death. Uh, there's also, that's backwards cruciformity, but then there's also thirdly, uh, forwards cru cruciformity, which is just the vice versa of backwards cruciformity, right? Sometimes we need to put to death some idealized version of the future. Um, that's, you know, that, that future that is only in accordance with our own wills, dreams, wants, and hopes, and instead ask God to lead us uh, so that we can then follow 
accordingly. James, uh, in the book of James, writes about that so well. I don't have time to get into it today, but he just, you know, he says, you know, uh, today or tomorrow, people say this, today or tomorrow we'll go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Uh, But James writes, why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. You don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. So there's inwards, backwards, forwards, cruciformity, which hopefully leads us to the, the kind of the end goal of cruciformity, which is love for others, this like outwards cruciformity. Because I think that as we do those first three, the hope is that we then are able to ask the question, how can I go to the cross for others in my life, for my spouse, for my children, for my neighbors, for the stranger, uh, and even for my enemy, how can I go to the cross for others? Because ultimately, that's what's at the heart of the cross. Um, Jesus wasn't crucified as some sort of purity ritual to cleanse himself. Right? When we talk about cruciformity, we often think of it in terms of, or when we think of self-denial, we think of it as some sort of purification for our inward self, some sort of sanctification. But uh, Jesus going to the cross wasn't for his own benefit. It was for the benefit of the other. And so I wonder how we might serve others by asking God where he perhaps is inviting us into self-denial so that we might uh, benefit uh, another person. I think for us as individuals and groups, we must constantly be following Jesus to the cross because to do so means that we're following him into life, into resurrection, which we'll talk more about next time. But I think too often groups, life groups, become places of Q&A, like here's the group guide, here's my answer to this or that question, here's what I liked about the sermon, et cetera, et cetera, instead of becoming intentional communities where the way of the cross is practiced. We're going to be diving into that idea over the next several weeks. Um, But in the meantime, grace and peace to you.